How is everybody going? Good? Great. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, it's an incredibly um, moving uh, morning this morning with uh, Remembrance Day and with the passing of Alice. And the theme we're actually looking at today um, through the book of Jonah, which is a little fortuitous, is about the idea that um, God... Uh, that God, at the end of the day, does as he sees fit. And uh, it's a hard thing for us as humans to wrap our mind around that there is a, a creator, a being, someone who acts in ways that we don't always understand. Things happen that we don't agree with. Um, sometimes you may have had the thought in your life, if I was God, I would do it a little bit different. But the reality is, is that we're mortal uh, that our time here on earth is as long as we get and, uh, and we don't have control, we don't have necessarily the final say on the matter. Um, so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be looking around this tension about why does God allow good things to happen, bad things to happen to good people? Why does God allow things to happen which uh, to us from our perspective doesn't make any sense? And to do that we're going to go through a story in the Bible um, with this prophet who was called Jonah. Or as uh, Pete was saying this morning, apparently, uh, Jonah, if you don't pronounce the J properly. And he only found out it was Jonah much later on in life. So Jonah or Jonah was a, was a, was a guy, and uh, we're going to look at his story. But before we get to his story, I, wanna, um, I just want to open up our minds a little bit. Sometimes when you, we read the Bible, if you've been around church or if you have a Bible at home, um, it can be really tempting to read what's in our Bibles and look for answers to look for what is the right thing to do, to look for something that will guide us and that will make sure that are we on the right path. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think we can miss um, a lot of relationship and a lot of the ambiguity that is within Scripture because there are some things that don't have a right answer. There are some things that doesn't make sense. And if you approach Scripture sometimes with what is the right thing to do, uh, you're going to read stories like Jonah and you're going to get very stuck. So to open up our minds a little bit uh, to, to sort of deal with a different type of way of reading Jonah this morning, um, I'm going to introduce us to this concept called Cohen's. I may not be saying it correct. A Cohen is a paradoxical anecdotal riddle without a solution. Wouldn't that just drive you nuts? Um, it was something that was developed by Zen Buddhists in about uh, the 5th century. So 500 years or 400 years after Jesus was on the earth, uh, these Buddhists discovered a way that, hey, there are a lot of questions in life we don't always know the answer to. And to deal with that, they made up about 1,700 of these uh, riddles or these, these sayings that don't have an answer and that leave you a bit mystified so that they can learn to live in the ambiguity of life. And what I want to do this morning is, uh, is show you an example of a koan and, uh, and give you a couple of things that Jesus says, which can be quite paradoxical or quite confusing. And then uh, I'm going to share a story about my daughter, and uh, then we're going to look at Jonah. And hopefully, out of this morning, I'm not going to try and give you answers or what is the next step for you to do, but I want to create a little bit of a framework around, in life, God acts in ways that we don't understand, and that can be hard for us to deal with. So I'm going to put up a video now, and this is an example of what one Cohen is. Illustrating the practice of no attachment. Two monks, Tanzen and Ekido, 
are traveling together down a muddy road. Ahead, they see an attractive traveler, unable to cross the muddy path. Tan Zen politely offers his help, carrying the traveler on his back across the street and placing her down without a word. Aikido was shocked. According to monastic law, monks were not supposed to go near women, let alone touch a beautiful stranger. After miles of walking, Aikido could no longer restrain himself. How could you carry that woman? Tanzen smiled. I left the traveler there. Are you still carrying her? Like all koans, this story has numerous interpretations. But one popular reading suggests that, despite never having physically carried the traveler, Aikido broke monastic law by mentally clinging to the woman. This type of conflict, examining the gray area between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, was common in koans. Isn't that interesting? Um, so a few, so you, you, you get it. There's, uh, and you, if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you can see some parallels there between the way that Jesus deals with people who are so concerned with doing the right thing that they end up carrying the burden and engaging in the wrong thing. Um, some other things that Jesus said, which can be quite confusing, is unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12, 24. Then John 12, 25 says, those who hate, no, sorry, those who love their lives lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it forever. Very confusing and and tough things to, to wrestle with because how do you come with the right answer out of that? How do you come with something, all right, here's what I'm going to do next? But I just want you to, do you feel the ambiguity? Do you feel the, the wrestle there? An 18th century rabbi told, uh, told his followers, uh, you should keep two pieces of paper in your pocket, one that says, I am only dust and ash, and the other that says, the world was created just for me. And we live in that tension. At the end of the day, you and I, in the view of God, we're, we're nothing. We're here for 100 years if we're lucky. But at the same time, everything that we see around us has been beautifully created so that we can live in relationship with God and with one another. So we have to keep these tensions and we have to deal with uh, the ambiguities that come with all of this. So Zalia, my beautiful daughter, the other night, it was about 3am and uh, she, she was crying. She was having a nightmare. Poor girl. Uh, I don't know what about because she hasn't had to do taxes or deal with school yet, so I don't know exactly what she's afraid of. So I went into the room, and I went up to Azalea, and I'm like, hey, sweetie, what's going on? What do you need help with? And in a half-asleep manner, she just mutters, buh, 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 buh. And immediately, this is about 3 a.m. in the morning, immediately I just, yep, leave the room. I walk out into the living room. I flick the light on. I flick it off because I saw what I needed to get. And I just reach down, and I grab this out. Oh, this morning she was naked. Thank you, Marnell and Danae, for bringing clothes. <laughs> Keeping this poor little doll's dignity. Um, and I, I saw this. I took it straight to Azalea, and she said something incoherent that I don't understand, and then grabbed the doll, hugged it, turned over, and went back to sleep. It was really beautiful. It was amazing. I was impressed with myself that at 3 a.m. I had enough in my brain to know exactly what she said off buh, buh, buh. I knew exactly what she needed. I knew exactly where roughly to look for it, that when I turned the light on, I'm like, I know it's either there or there. And I looked, I saw it straight away. And I was just like, why is that? 
how is it when I'm half asleep, I'm able to suddenly understand this incoherent language and know exactly where to go and what to do? And the reason that I could do that was because I knew where to look. I knew what to look for because I know what Azalea cares about and I know how she operates. So when she said, buh, 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 I, it was baby for me. I'm like, obviously. And I knew exactly where to go. Not because I remember where she put it last, but having known her for two and a half years, I know vaguely where her things are. Because even at two and a half, she has little particular ways of doing things. And uh, yeah, it's just a matter of fact that I spent so much time with her and I know how she operates. So as we go into the book of Jonah, there's two things I want to sort of hopefully have set a little bit of the stage for. Firstly, from what we learn about Cohen's, part of what we're going to read, there's no simple answer or simple solution. We're going to come to a part at the end where we just sort of have to say, God operates the way that he operates. I don't have a next step and a, I have encouragement that uh, will come right at the end, but I don't have an answer as to why or how. I just just live and try and figure it out and hope he gives the next steps. Uh, so hopefully we can live with a bit of that. But also from that story that I just told about Azalea, hopefully uh, as you read this book, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're looking at it through the lens um, that you already have relationship with God and you know him and you trust him and how he operates. So if you're someone here this morning and you're still wondering, I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't believe or I don't know, I'm still figuring out exactly who God is or what's happening in this space, as we read this story, this is just something that will reveal a little bit about God's character. And uh, the word we're going to look at is, uh, or two words, theodicy and sovereignty. Don't worry, I'll explain as we go. Um, but it explains a little bit about God's character. And the great thing is, if you've been to churches before, sometimes it seems like the person up the front has all the answers. As we go through, you might come out with more questions than answers, and that's okay. That's actually pretty healthy because it means you can chat with us and you can maybe even ask God a couple and see what he says. So let's have a look at these uh, two words quickly. Theodicy. Theodicy is the vindication of divine providence in view of the existence of evil. Is everyone with me? Uh, basically, uh, it's, it's why does good thing happen? Why does good thing, uh, bad things happen to good people? And in the book of Jonah, the theodicy that's happening here is basically... Uh, Jonah is trying to give a, a justification about why, uh, why God acts the way that he does. And he doesn't justify it in terms of, well, here's why God does it, but he's trying to show that there is a reason that God operates the way that he does. And normally, when you're looking at a theodicy, you're looking at the idea about why do good people suffer. But in the book of the Jonah, there's a bit of a different one. It's, God, why are you so slow to anger? Why do you show so much compassion? If you're a just God, why is it, as we're going to look, why is it that you take so long to do what is just? And the reason we're going to get to it at the end is the fact that God is sovereign, which means he has the final say on everything. And uh, we, we, we learn to live in a way that we're okay with that. We don't start there. And as you read this, you're not going to suddenly go, I get it, I'm going to live that way now. That's not, that's not how it works. I read the book of Jonah and trust God more because of my relationship with Jesus, because of my experiences with Christian community, because of my encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then I read what's in Jonah and I trust more. I don't just read it and believe it. It's something that I've tested over years and years. So if this is the first time you're looking at this within Jonah, uh, don't try and look for answers. Um, just try and see what happens with, with the story and we'll see where we land. All right. 
Let's have a read of Jonah chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because there is wickedness that has come up before me. And Jonah ran away. God said, go here, and Jonah went, nope. And uh, he ran away down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to a distant land called Tarshish. And uh, basically what's happening here, God is saying, I need you to go and deliver a message to this people over here. And Jonah has gone, but I want to go to that really fun land over there where I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and, uh, and Jonah bails. And as he's on this ship, a violent storm comes up. And it's actually interesting, in verse 4, it says, the Lord God sent this storm. And a violent storm rose up, and it threatened to break up the ship. The sailors said to each other, let's find out who is responsible for this calamity. Eventually, they find out that it's Jonah. He's the one who's responsible. So they ask him, who are you, and what have you done to upset God? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who is in charge of everything that you see. And they were terrified and said, what have you done? And he says, uh, well, I'm running away from what God wants me to do. Verse 12, he says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this storm has come upon all of us. So they took Jonah and threw him overboard uh, into the raging sea. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Verse 17, now the Lord provided. So first, the Lord sends a huge storm. God sends a big storm that causes us this calamity, and now he provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah. I would not want to be traveling inside the belly of a fish. And he was there for three days and three nights. Uh, so that does not sound very nice at all. So in this first chapter of Jonah, we have Jonah trying to escape from God. God sends a storm that puts all these people in danger. And uh, in verse 12, he, he says, let's offer a human sacrifice. Throw me over. Which, uh, if you're reading that, that's just weird. God doesn't, anyway. Uh, so Jonah says, throw me over. They do. And basically what we learn from chapter 1 is that Jonah's choice to disobey God has made God act in a way that he is capturing and chasing after Jonah. But not in a great way. If you look at other um, prophets in the Bible, like Moses, when he was having trouble figuring out the call of God on his life, God sent him someone to help him. Jonah got a storm sent after him and got swallowed by a fish. I'm just saying, I think he drew the short straw of the prophets, that's for sure. So verse two, uh, chapter 2, he's inside the belly of the whale. I won't read it out, but he just says a prayer to God that says, Lord, answer me. I've cried for help and I know you're going to listen to me. Um, and God does an incredible act of compassion and puts him back on the land near Nineveh so that he can go and do what God had called him to do in the first place. Chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. So second time's a charm. <laughs> I think it was me and God said, go do something. And then I went through three days in the belly of a whale. I'm going to listen to whatever he says next because I don't want to go back in there. So the second time, Jonah actually goes to Nineveh. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. And Nineveh, it was a very large city. So this wasn't just a little country town you pitch up to and you say, hey guys, here's the message from God. It took about three days to be able to go throughout Nineveh to properly deliver the message that God had given. And, and the message that Jonah had to give was not really an exciting one. 
He said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I don't know about you, but I like being a good news person. If I had to go to a great big city like that and spend three days going and getting in contact with everybody, I want to be telling them that, hey, God loves you, or hey, something good's coming your way. But he has to go throughout the whole city saying, in 40 days, everything here is going to be overthrown. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in dust, in the dust. So Jonah's message is actually heard by everybody there, and they're like, we don't want to be destroyed in 40 days. So they actually move to an act of repentance of saying sorry, and they don't eat, they don't drink, and they put on clothes which just make them one with the ground. They, they put on clothes that show that they're not worthy of whatever God is going to bestow upon them and they're basically just crying out lord we're nothing we need your help and in fact the decree that comes from the king to all of the people that are gathered there is don't let people animals herds or flocks taste anything don't know practically how you make flocks not want to eat i don't know if you've seen sheep and stuff they just sort of eat when they want i don't know what you do with that anyway that's what he says to them and he says don't let them eat or drink But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I love that. And animals. Someone there who was running the sackcloth, uh, you know, had a business. They were capitalizing right now. Everyone's in the sackcloth. And they're making it, you know, uh, have you seen those little dogs that wear the uh, Christmas outfits and they look adorable? This is the opposite of that. They're not meant to look adorable, but they're clothing everyone. They're trying to just show everything here is where we're we're going, God, don't, don't get angry with us. But let, uh, and let everyone call urgently on God. This is what the king is saying to them. And he says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from the fierce anger so that we will not perish. God may change his mind. In verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, when he saw how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he changed his course of action and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, if the story ended there, that sounds like a really, hooray, we avoided the calamity. You know, most movies are built on the idea that there is a danger coming and then the hero swoops in at the last minute and saves them. Like in Lord of the Rings, when they got the ghost army to come, like that was the biggest, or the eagles, like that was bad. Anyway, that was, lazy writing is what I'm saying. There's a lot of tension here. They, they're there at the last minute and God changes his mind uh, and, and he doesn't follow through on what he's doing. And then in chapter 4, Jonah has a whinge, which to me, if you, if you believe in God and then God says, I'm going to spare these people, from, from my view and from our modern view, would look at that and go, man, this guy's it's a bit of an idiot, isn't he? Why, why would he want other people to suffer? Jonah's being a, a bit of a tool here. But... He just feels that this is wrong. Jonah has this conflict inside of him where he looks out and he says, the justice of God is that these people don't act the way God desires people to act. And the justice of God is that they should not be there. And in fact, later on, if you keep reading through, um, through the rest of the Bible, Nineveh is eventually destroyed. But it's not destroyed here. So there is still final judgment there. There's still... For whatever reason, God still finally finishes that out. But in this moment here, God extends compassion and allows that not to happen here. And Jonah has a huge whinge. 
So, God gives Jonah a little bit of an object lesson. He says, uh, you know, why, why are you angry? Do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah goes, oh, mumble, mumble, mumble. And then he goes and builds a shelter to sit out in the shade to watch what happens to the city. So Jonah hears that God is no longer going to be um, following through on the judgment which he had said he was going to do. And he thinks to himself, I'm just going to go and sit back here and I'm going to look and see if something happens or something changes. And he builds a little shelter to keep himself out of the sun. But God actually gives him some shade. God actually allows a uh, plant to come up and to, to fill shade over him. And he's like, oh, thank you. This is amazing. Then he goes to sleep that night. He wakes up the next morning and a worm has come and eaten the plant and it's now gone. And the sun comes out and he doesn't have that shade anymore. And he says, I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. Bit of a drama king. Verse 10. The Lord says, you have been concerned about this plant. When it was up, you were happy. Now that it's gone, you're in despair. But you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and then it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also the animals? The animals are getting a big run in Jonah. I like that. So Jonah has a whinge and God turns around and says, you get angry about a plant, yet you were happy to see the destruction of 120,000 people. What right do you have to be angry? And what right do you have to question my decision to change my mind about this course of action? So the book of Jonah teaches us about God's compassion, which is great. In fact, it ends there with, with um, God saying that they took a step in the right direction. And I honoured that and I, and I extended a bit of compassion. And in fact, if you read the story of Jonah properly, I believe you see Jonah and Nineveh, they're actually secondary characters to what's going on. We're not meant to learn about the fate of Nineveh or about the character development needed within Jonah. We're actually learning about God. And so the story ends where it should with the main character of God saying that I choose when to extend compassion. I choose what should happen. So I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to finish off here. There's three, things, uh, there's, there's three things that I want to sort of draw out here that will help core, form a little bit of the framework. The first is, is that in our lives, um, you and I will all want to judge God for how he chooses to deal with this world. And if you haven't got to that point, you will, because things will happen in your life, and if they have not happened already, where you, you will look at God and you will judge his actions and you will probably find him wanting from your perspective. In this life, you're going to face times where you're angry at God because he allows people you love and he allows things to happen which just aren't right from our perspective. And in this life, you're going to face uncertainty and doubt as to whether God is actually even a part of your story. Because you look at something like Jonah and it seems like God was just with him or he was listening so easily. But my experience in life is there are moments where I look around and I'm not even sure he's next to me. So we judge God, we get angry with God and we doubt God. And there's no answer I can give you as to here's why. And if I did, you shouldn't believe it because that would be rubbish. 
But the only framework I can give us is the idea that God must be free to act as he sees fit. i say that again. God must be free to act as he sees fit. And I can't explain God and his actions in Jonah, but I trust that God did what he saw fit. And because of the trust that I have in his sovereignty, in his bringing everything together, um, I trust that he did what he saw fit when he brought Jesus into the world. I'm going to finish on this passage and then we're going to pray together. In Romans 5 verse 6 to 11 it says this, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. So this is um, Paul writing to a church. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled now shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I don't know why God allows things to happen. But I believe that God does as he sees fit. And in the story of Jonah, we see him honor small acts or small steps in the right direction with an act of compassion. And in the life of Jesus, we see God act as he saw fit, choosing to die a death he didn't deserve and extend grace to people who didn't deserve it before you and I were even aware that he was there with us. So why don't you stand with me? Why don't you stand with me and we're going to pray together. Lord God, help sustain me through the doubts that are in my mind. When I come up against questions about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, Lord, may may you strengthen me to be patient, to trust in you even when sometimes it seems like you're not going to be trustworthy. Because God, at the end of the day, we just want to respond to your acts of compassion, your acts of grace. But that is difficult when we look at the world around us and it doesn't make sense. So Lord, be with us as in each of our own lives we journey just to understand a little bit more about who you are, how you operate. And as we come to know more about you and your son, Jesus, may you just continue to strengthen our faith. In your name and for your glory. Amen.